0: Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of the Knowledge Panel Show, where today we'll be discussing what can SEO learn from digital PR? I have a brilliant set of panels, as uh, always. So we've got Darren, Isa and Ava. I'm going to just, sorry, Eva, sorry, and try um, and let them introduce themselves a little bit. Um, So Darren, if we could start with you. uh, who are you? Uh, where do you work? And what brings you onto the podcast? Yeah,
1: I'm Gary Kingman. Uh, I've been doing digital PR and SEO for a long, long time, dec- over a decade uh, now. So um, I've worked in house and agency side, predominantly agency side throughout my career. I was part of the leadership team of Your Visible for, for a couple of years. Left, went freelance, uh, now started up through Digital after getting a bit too busy for a bit of old me. And uh, I've been running that for, for five years. Um, brings me on the podcast is that David uh, dropped into my, my DMs and asked if I, I wanted to come and talk about SEO and digital PR. And of course, so that's, uh, that's me.
2: Oh, brilliant. OK, thank you. And Isa? Yes, hello. Um, I'm Isa. Um, I'm a freelance digital PR strategist. Uh, I've also been doing it for <clears throat> quite a long time, 15 years. Um, it worked also agency side and in house. I've also worked sort of with sort of traditional PR um agencies and in house as well, and yeah, on uh, I love all things search and off off page SEO and link building. So yeah, I'm on here to talk about it some more. Brilliant. And Eva,
3: hi. Um, I'm Eva, based up in Newcastle upon Tyne. I work for Evolve Digital, well, Evolve Search. Um, and I'm a digital PR consultant. I've been in the industry not as long as Darren and I, though um, probably around about five years, but I had two years before that in social media marketing. So um a bit of a digital PR, like digital PR, digital media marketing background for me.
0: Okay, hey, awesome. So thanks so much, guys. Um, so I'm not in digital PR. So this is going to be a very explorative uh, conversation. I'm really excited to learn from you guys. Um, so Just uh, for my benefit, for everyone listening, I guess let's start off with what is digital PR? Um, And then broadly speaking, um, we'll get into the specifics of it a little bit later. But broadly speaking, what are the principles of digital PR that make it similar to SEO? And and why are we talking about it in in this podcast?
1: So digital PR is a function of SEO. Obviously, algorithmically, we're trying to build authority uh, effectively for, for domains that we work with. Um, and that takes multiple different tactics and techniques in order to accomplish that but effectively we're trying to come up with stories and add value to the media so trying to come up with stories and headlines and data points that journalists can use in their in their articles and obviously we then trying to get a, a reference back to to our clients in a lot of cases or, or domains that we're working with in order to try and climb up those those rankings so obviously google will use those authority signals particularly in more uh, crowded niches in order to try and you know, let the cream rise to the top the more that we can do that externally the more authority that we gain the more or uh, well, the higher the rankings we we climb effectively so that's in my mind that's digital pr
2: yeah and just to add to that i would say uh, digital pr is kind of off the back of PR, public relations. Um, In the beginning, when we sort of realized that um, doing PR helps SEO, it was called SEO PR, and then it was called online PR. But essentially, if you think about PR in itself, PI is all about brand awareness and driving brand reputation. And Google loves all things about sort of driving brand awareness and reputation. And when you're getting authoritative um, recommendations from websites that Google sees as kind of credible, that's kind of giving Google the signals that, oh, okay, this brand that's talking about this product or this service actually knows what they're talking about. Therefore, we're going to score them higher in the SERPs, basically, because everyone authoritative is writing about them. So essentially, that's another way of looking at it as well.
3: I think to add to that, I agree with everything that Darren and I have said, that we as digital PRs always have to bear in mind, like the relevancy of the publications we are gaining the links in, which is um, in relation to obviously SEO, all of our content, which we have on our site needs to be um, of topical relevancy, needs to have authoritiveness. So whenever we are working with like journalists, our topics and areas that we talk about has to be in relation to the products or the client site that we are working on as well. So to help with SEO on that side. Okay, awesome.
0: So it's kind of like, um, I would say what we were talking a little bit beforehand and you guys made it really clear that actually the digital PR and SEO, they're not very far away from each other at all because the, the sort of, the end goal is to is to be seen as an authority by Google, and that's a really good place to start this podcast, I think. So I think the next one we'll go on to, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on are uh, is sort of what are some of the specific techniques and tactics from digital PR that SEO professionals. But now I'm reading it and thinking maybe you consider yourself as an SEO professional, uh, but uh, can can they adopt to enhance their search engine ranking? So what are you guys doing really specifically that's actually improving SEO in simple terms?
3: I'll start. (laughs) So one of the first things that we only do for like a new client or a client that we really have already have on board, ready to like review the past work that we've done, we do always tend to do like a competitor link analysis. So we look at the links that our competitors have built, see if there's any gaps in the areas which... We haven't built links in, where are they targeting and how are they getting higher in their SERP ranking? Um, And we also look at those like niche sites that we're looking to target. So like I mentioned earlier to do with like relevancy, with topical relevancy, it makes sense for us to target like for automotive clients, which is what we heavily work with. Um, It makes more sense for us to target sites like Top Gear. um, I'm going to, Blab on with like the bunch of different automotive niche sites, which you've probably never heard of, like auto evolution and things like that. And so I won't go deep dive into that, <laughs> but we always try and make it hyper relevant and it's make sure it targets our clients' niche area.
2: Um, yeah, I, in t- terms of adding to that, I would also say when you're creating any kind of content on the website, there's kind of two sides to look at it. One is looking at content people are looking for. So you're kind of going by search demand. So as well as doing the sort of backlink analysis, as Eva was saying, you also kind of look at queries and questions um, sort of audiences in that space are asking that you could then answer um, with kind of creating relevant content on your site. And then to make that content kind of fly in terms of journalists being interested in, in it, you need to think about how it fits into a new cycle so you could create a content that's kind of you know evergreen for example but to actually get that covered as quickly as possible by journalists it's quite important to think about how you could add that sort of content or um, information or expert advice into the news cycle so if you're let's say a finance um, company or insurance company you would be jumping on all the stories at the moment about interest rates and the you know, credit crunch crisis and mortgage advice you'd make sure that you all the sort of content you're creating around that is kind of in, t- in in tune with what the sort of journalists would be wanting from terms of an expert advice and then that's giving you a higher chance of being covered by those sort of authoritative websites.
1: To, to build on to build on that, like a a way that you can do that as well. More specifically, I suppose when when you're doing reactive for things called PR requests. So there's a load of platforms out there like Hero, there's you know journal requests on Twitter and, and a bunch of other places, Response Source, uh, where journalists are actively seeking someone who has knowledge on a subject that they're going to be writing about in the next couple of weeks. So um, just. Yeah, anyone can do it, sign up to those platforms, see where you're an authority authority, or you can sell yourself as an authority, and then just start re- responding to those queries. Uh, obviously, very targeted, trying to give them something that they can have as a soundbite uh, effectively or a data point. Uh, And then you can jump on those reactive opportunities.
0: That's so interesting. So I, I'm wondering if you guys could give me a little bit more insight into what a typical digital PR campaign looks like I mean I suppose it's probably quite a long process to go from start to finish but I'm just interested to hear like where you guys start with this I mean you say you do a backlink analysis how are you actually performing these what's um what what sort of tips and tricks are you are you hiding
3: um for a backlink analysis we tend to use like ahrefs um and we also use majestic to look at the competitor backlinks. And um, with Majestic as well, you can also look at the trust flow authoritiveness, and it also goes down to page categories. So you can have like automotive focused ones, you can have lifestyle shopping focus kind of, which have an authoritiveness within that sector. So they, they do break
2: it down and uh, we do look at those. Well, just, just to add to that, I think when while doing sort of that backlink analysis, something that's really important to look at is maybe looking at a gap in the market. So you could essentially find out where your sort of competitors are getting their links and getting sort of coverage and look at kind of topics that are being covered widely. And actually, um, your job as a digital PR is to either come up um, with a gap of a, a sort of answering a query that hasn't been asked, answering a question that hasn't been answered yet or making the uh, making the content better so something that's already out there actually improving it adding more stats to it getting more expert opinion on it and just making it a lot bigger for for sort of journalists um, and media kind of publications to update update their data so a lot of insight goes into sort of a digital PR campaign because you kind of need to ensure that whatever content or story you're creating is actually going to resonate with the audience and therefore journalists writing to the audiences so yeah a lot of insight is done like pre-campaign
0: yeah I'm also like wondering how in touch do you guys have to be with sort of like the the just culture at the, at the time, like you must be so aware of news all the time. And it must be quite like a huge part of your job. We're kind of going off, off piece here, but I just think it's such an interesting part of that. If I was going to have insight from, from a sort of outsider's perspective, it's a difference between what I would have said an SEO professional, which actually sounds way more boring than what you guys are doing. Um, <laughs> it, uh, compared to, to what, um, you're doing is like bringing in culture bringing in uh, the news and sort of using that as inspiration to uh feed into google and make you guys make uh campaigns interesting is that sort of a big part of your job or
1: I was already talking about inflation rates uh, a moment ago yeah. right I mean you have to be on on the beat of, yeah. of various different topics as well um you know and, and different industries we might have travel clients you might have automotive clients like Eva mentioned you, you know you are plumbing clients uh, and everything can feed into those right so you have to try and sometimes make uh, a not very sexy industry, interesting from a journalist's perspective, but as long as you know, uh, you have a sense with the media, you know what a headline looks like, you know what an interesting data point looks like, then you know how to reverse engineer that effectively and try and hunt those down in order to create a story from there. And that's what a digital PR campaign really is, 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 you know, you're adding value, you're creating a story, it's storytelling. Um, But like you said, you have to know from the get-go what's interesting and what's not.
2: And yeah, just to add to that, I think this is where digital PR aligns really um, well with traditional PR, because um, when I worked for a sort of traditional PR agency, the first thing they would do in the morning is look at the sort of newspapers, look at the newspapers, look at the magazines, what stories have been written out, what, what topics out there, what's what's any queries that we could answer. So let's say there was a thing that said, um, you know, one in three um, people living in Devon uh, are single. Let's just like as an example, and let's say one of the clients I have is a dating website you would then kind of think you'd look at a stat or you look at some kind of customer data you have and then you'd use that to jump on that story to answer that query or answer that problem and um, I think another thing is like looking at social media is super important as well so going on twitter um, looking at even on sort of tiktok is massive tiktok is so huge because you can actually use tiktok trends to the journalist and kind of go oh this um trend or this uh style has got 75 million views on tiktok and that's basically telling the journalist that it's on trend so really being on the cusp of using sort of social data even using things like um Reddit and places like that, where you could really go in and dig and find out what conversations are going on. It really gives you insight in how to feed into sort of stories and staying on top. And that's why sort of PRs do the same thing, um, which is why digital PRs kind of use similar tactic to the sort of traditional PRs.
3: I was going to say to I think to add to that, um, you can also we kind of like predict what's going to happen. So obviously it's the summer months now. We know always that every summer we've got this massive heat wave. All, all of our clients could potentially comment on in some way or another on the massive heat wave and um, and we know it's coming so all we need to do is get those expert comments get those expert tips ready and um, just ready for outreach along with like a media list built of like contacts for journalists that we want to pitch the idea to and um, and we just always know that these things are coming around like the budget decisions from the government and um, like winters always coming Christmas is always coming like those key dates on your like awareness calendar are always going to be there and if you've always got the campaigns and the comments to which can tie into those it means that you can be reactive faster and means you can jump on opportunities there as well
1: just to, just i don't know what you guys call that but we kind of uh, comically call that proactive reactive It's like you know it's coming up. You know it's it's reactive opportunity, right? But uh, there are loads of events throughout the year, like you said, that you can always jump on. But yeah, that's that's what we call it internally. But I don't know if that's going to become a thing.
0: That's so cool. So it's kind of like trends. um, So like, I I suppose my next question was going to be about how it's different to traditional SEO um, or the sort of the boring analytics side that we think of. Um, I'm just thinking in terms of how similar it is. It's kind of like the trends. I know that SEOs are obsessed with trends, what's doing well at the time, but I think it's nice to sort of learn from digital PR in the sense that you actually can use being alive as as part of your, you know, your research and being like part of the world. And um yeah, I, I'm just wondering um if you guys have any more uh differences of uh SEO traditional and, and digital PR in, in terms of how you approach something. Um, apart from the trends setting and the trends.
2: (laughs) I think one way to look at it in terms of SEO as a whole is you just think about three pillars and you've got like three sisters and they can't function without each other. So you've got sort of like the technical side, which is basically essentially like if your website isn't set up in a way that Google can't find it, can't crawl it, can't sort of label it, then forget it. You know, or if it's, if your page, uh, if your page is slow, so if someone comes into your website and the sort of the page loading is taking its time, all these kind of things are the technical side of SEO, which is super. Important, which I would say what you're saying, Jeannie, is probably the, the more technical side of things. Then you've got content, and uh, so you've got on-page content, and that's essentially super important, not just for sort of um, sort of media outreach. You need to have really relevant and what we call eat content, authoritative content on the website that's relevant to your service, to your brand. You're offering consumers something, and you've got um, some sort of long tail. So people are actually going to be searching for the stuff that you write about. So actually, a lot of the time you can actually drive traffic to your website just with the content alone if you're creating relevant authoritative credible content that people kind of want to know about then the third side of it is obviously the sort of the digital pr so essentially you've got your technical side it's sorted out then you've got the content on site and then for for the digital pr is essentially making sure that google knows that other people are kind of recommending your website and coming back to you and linking to you and actually sort of referencing you as a site to say oh you want to know about you know this topic you need to kind of click on this because this company website is a, a an authority in this space and that's what gives google to trust you to kind of get you up in the sort of serps higher than your competitors so that's kind of a way of explaining how it all works together
1: 100 <laughs> i've never heard them called free sisters before i see them as pillars but exactly the same i think you see that on every agency's website right there's normally those free services that we that we offer um tech seo obviously you need it uh, efficient effect um for for Crawlers uh, for for uh, Google and so on and so forth. Um, digital PR kind of feels like the lever that you can you can push up or down a little bit more, um, and it depends on the industry that you're in, right? If you if you're in a really crowded space, you need more authority signals in order to to rise to the top. And if you're in a in a space more kind of local SEO wise, you don't need as many signals uh, externally in order to to, to rise up. So that, the other two. I suppose every domain pretty much needs good content. You need the, the, the best, you know, kind of 10x stuff. Um, and technically you need to be uh, efficient, but Digital PR feels like that that lever that can go up or down. That's
0: awesome. Okay. So um, if we go on to the next question, which is is to do to, to sort of be around influencer marketing and to get your insight into, into that. Um, actually, personally, I mean, from... Uh, Trying to sort of grow inlinks behind the scenes and stuff, we've been sort of contemplating um, sort of a- approach to influencer marketing. And um, actually, just for me and, and insights there, what has been your experience with influencer marketing? Is it a completely integral part? I mean, I know Isa was talking about TikTok and how I know that that is quite literally just influencer everything. What is that? Um, what kind of role does that play in digital
2: PR? So I worked with influencers when they were called bloggers. <laughs> this is a very, very long time ago. And, and before you had any sort of sort of Instagram, oh God, really giving away how long we're doing this. Before you had Instagram or anything like that, bloggers used to have blogs. So essentially they were pop, small publishers of small websites, magazines. We, they're still around, but obviously um, TikTok and sort of uh, Instagram has taken over. So when we used to work with bloggers, we would essentially work with bloggers the same way we would work with a, a magazine or a, you know a publication. In a newspaper so we would engage with them slightly different because obviously they're more kind of an ambassador so like where i worked with fashion brands or beauty brands you would kind of send them a product and they would review it or you would um you know invite them to an event and they would then write about it and review it then somewhere down the line and um, google's guidelines sort of said uh you can't really give someone a product to then include a link backlink so google kind of said that's a no-no so working with influencers in the seo space dramatically changed because essentially you can't really get a link for giving someone a product however working with influencers um as a social signal is massive and actually a lot of the time they drive trends so if you see i think um a, you know a, a case study for example could be like um those what are those clogs is it crocs they're called Cro- is it crocs all of a sudden they were something that my literally my dad would wear like six years ago and now every influencer and everyone on love island is like wearing them i'm absolutely positive <laughs> oh there there you go, <laughs> there you go. Um, i'm absolutely positive a, a, a huge part of that marketing strategy was working with influencers and i think and this is where like google needs to catch up with social because where everyone if something's got 75 80 million views on TikTok or on instagram google has to pay attention to that because that's telling it that okay this is the trend that's popular so actually working aligning with influences is part of the seo strategy as part of brand awareness and sort of driving social signals even though the sort of link quality isn't exactly giving direct seo value it is a massive part of like spreading and kind of making it go viral, for instance. So I would say it's super important for influencer marketing to be part of your digital PR. But from a sort of link building perspective, I'd say it's more second, third kind of priority than just like working with journalists, my take on it anyway.
1: I think that's the absolute key, right? Is that if you're if you're working with anything that's paid, trying to do trying to get a link is is the no no. Um, but I 100% agree with you, and I've been thinking for years that Google should be using more social signals in the way that they try and rank websites against each other, right? Because something could go massively viral socially, not generate many articles and links, and you have nothing to show from it from an SEO perspective. So, um, for that reason, really, we don't really work with uh, influencers in the in the art in the campaigns that we do. I did about eight years ago. I did one with James Calm from Dragon's Den and that just completely bombed and was surprisingly expensive. Um, so we've, we've shied away from doing anything in that direction. More for us, it's about kind of, I suppose... Um, Working with authorities rather than influencers. It's trying to have someone, like I mentioned earlier, with PR requests. Trying to have someone that is worth listening to. Um, so if we're doing a campaign, someone that's relevant to that campaign that can add to it. Um, so it's not an influencer that's going to, you know, from Love Island or something that's going to kind of blow it up socially, but someone that uh, that can be referenced and give a journalist a bit more to to, to write about in their in their articles.
3: Um, to add to that, in terms. of, Like influence marketing, we sometimes use micro influencers for our campaigns. So, we have like a bathroom and shower client, and there was this micro influencer that redecorated their bathroom to look really jazzy, bright colors, all of those like totally different to what you would normally see in the regular everyday trends. And we sometimes utilize their kind of wanting of building their social media following to offer them free press essentially. To like say that they have done this, um, and our client would offer expert tips on how someone else could do this, how it's recreated. Their expert advice on like recreating this bathroom, and then like maybe some financing angle of like how much it costed that person to do that home. Just makes it kind of like a real life case study. So whenever gen- a journalist sees it, they're like, oh, someone can relate to that directly. If someone wants to try do it themselves, I've got these great tips from this expert who can do this. And then they publish it. So, like, that's a kind of a semi way that we work with influencers is through micro influencers who have started a trend or who've jumped on a trend. And we use them as a case study within our campaigns.
2: Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Eva. Like, I think one way that we work with influencers is use them as content creators. So, like, for a client that I worked on a little while ago, they're kind of uh, a, let's say, they're a competitor to delivery, uh, a sort of delivery service. And essentially, they worked with, parenting bloggers, over the summer and um, sort of sent them a whole bunch of like grocery stuff to come up with games that you could create at home with your kids so we sent them a whole bunch of stuff and then we created it with them and then um, they sort of wrote about it and then we then created the whole kind of content on the website to kind of say this is like how you can this this parenting blogger did this this parenting blogger did that so you've got on, on you know one stage you've got the content and two stage you've got the parenting um influencers sort of pushing it themselves on their kind of channel so that's kind of giving it that bit of growth and then you can package it up as Eva was saying and sort of sell it in nearly like a case study um to journalists kind of going oh these parenting influences put these kind of things together and created this um games that you could create for your kids at home and then you could top it off with some expert advice in there to kind of give it that uh, extra credibility so yeah influences are great for content creation um and kind of content co- collaboration as well
0: that's so interesting so um
2: I guess my
0: next question, as someone who is completely out of this space or feels it at least, um, how are you tracking this? How are you tracking your success with influencer marketing? Is there, is there like um, a specific thing, numbers that you're trying to reach, or is it very much just the success of the product that comes out of it? Uh, if you see what I, I think, see what I mean. I don't- Does it make sense or do I need to clarify a little bit more?
3: I would say from us with our micro-influencer ones, we just see it as like a typical PR link building campaign, Just basically how much coverage have we gained, um, which publications we've gained um, that coverage within, what links we've built, whether it's had like a category page link focus for that campaign or a specific blog page. We
2: just like track all of like the
3: analytics side of that
2: sometimes sometimes what you do as well we benchmark to see if any keywords are visible within google so sometimes when you do a campaign obviously there's you've always got category uh, keywords that you're trying to um, get to the top of google for your kind of for your website but then what you do before a campaign is you sort of Um, benchmark what keywords are showing and then after the kind of um, campaign sometimes some keywords show up because of that kind of the brand awareness and kind of viral kind of campaign you'll see some actual you see yourself ranking for some terms based around the campaign that you've done with influencers
1: there's also social shares you know that kind of engagement uh, by sumo uh, pre- pre- classic, right? Um, for for measuring your your impact socially, it's not so much from a CEO perspective. But if you're sending over a deck or doing a presentation that you know the C suite might want to look at and kind of try and ascertain how much value you're offering their their company. Sometimes you can have eyeballs and reach. You know, here's how much exposure our campaign, has, uh, our campaign has generated for you. So sometimes we do put that in there. Not so much recently as something we did uh, a while back, but um, that that can also be something worth sharing with clients.
0: So if, if we take those things that you guys were, were all talking about in terms of the different success measurements and stuff, the data that, that you grab, what do you think traditional seos can learn from this how can they create make decisions from the success that comes out of digital pr campaigns
2: it's so funny actually because i actually did the talk on this at brighton seo oh, brilliant. Uh, last, yeah i did so essentially there's two sides of the foot when you've got um the seo department Quite rightly so. It's looking at keywords, organic traffic, branded traffic, and looking at all that stuff. Whereas from a PR point of view, it's more qualitative stuff, stuff that... um Eva was just talking about and Dan was just talking about. So you've got like reach, engagement, how many times your brand has been mentioned. Um, sometimes following, if you kind of track how many followers you've got before campaign and then post campaign, you can track that as well. Um, you could also track brand sentiment. So sometimes you could actually have people in comments going, oh, I didn't know about this product before. I'm gonna go off and buy it. That That's actually telling your client or your sort of stakeholders that this, this campaign is actually converted customers or kind of you know got customers thinking about you know time stuff like time spent on site as well so obviously if you've done a campaign and you've created a page around it and people are going to that page and spending time on that page that's showing that there's engagement and interest in that campaign so there's kind of this sort of SEO sort of KPIs that you report on, but then there's also the PR social um, metrics that you can report on as well.
1: Yeah, from from a, from an SEO's uh, perspective, yeah, you know, obviously it comes to like I said, it comes down to keywords. Uh, what, what what impact are you having on the serps? Um, and reverse engineering that again from an seo's side if they know that there are you know, products or collection pages or topical keywords or keyword groups that they're trying to rank for um, a lot of the time you can measure yourself against the top three top five top ten ranking competitors and see how close are you from a link equity standpoint you know we use trust flow uh, for that because it isolates link equity um, so if you're benchmarking yourself and looking through your website to see where are the opportunities you can then start to decide where your link building campaigns or your digital PR campaign should be focused. So that could be on, you know, a, 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 your luggage products, for instance, and therefore you might want to do something around luggage or travel. Um, and then you create your digital PR campaign, create your your landing page, funnel the equity through to your 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 money pages effectively, and then measure measure keyword performance. So that's that's something that's kind of bread and butter. That's that's something most clients uh, really care
2: about. Every now and then, you could also track sales not always um but sometimes you can track sales so a client i worked with before they worked with the beauty brand and they kind of did the whole sort of product placement of it and then they looked at the google analytics and in the you know back end and actually sales went up as the coverage went up so sometimes you can also track not all the time but sometimes you can track sales as well
0: and do you guys ever face any sort of difficulties when it comes to communicating with seos i mean it's in the nicest possible way but i know that a lot of seos can be quite difficult to to sort of reason with sometimes especially the tech ones that are very much like you know we'll we need to label this right we need to, this maybe digital pr isn't going to help this um so i was wondering if you guys have any i mean it would be unfortunate if you did but any first-hand experience of um how communicating with your SEO team or the the dedicated SEO space, um, how, how that's been difficult. Uh, and I guess what I'm looking for is a sort of takeaway that SEOs, uh, a, something that SEOs can take away from that to sort of improve communication with the digital PR team um, for the purpose of the po- podcast.
2: I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily difficult conversation. I think, from my experience, there's always a kind of difference in terms of the amount of links that you're supposed to get as a digital PR. So, um, with the SEO mindset, a lot of it is about volume, volume, volume. We want to get 25, 30, 60, 80 links in a certain amount of time. And obviously, with digital PR, it, it's like, Branded quality content stuff, and that you can't, you can't sort of max, you can't get that volume all the time. You can get viral campaigns, and that happens, but not all the time. So I think it's kind of reasoning with link quality as opposed to link quantity. Um, sometimes it isn't about the number of links you get. Sometimes it's actually the relevant value of the links you have. So my kind of thing is always, always sort of talking, negotiating with actually. Th- you know, and it, The proof in the pudding as well, sometimes having a few links can actually make a difference rather than having hundreds and hundreds of links because the quality of the links are better. So I think that sometimes people, some, some SEOs with that sort of volume mindset are kind of, you've got to do a little bit of negotiating.
1: Another side of that is how quickly you can build links to. Um, digital PR campaigns, good digital PR campaigns. The methodologies are quite extensive. Like a production, typically for us, can take your six to eight weeks. So if you're if you're starting with someone or an SEO team comes to you and says you know, well, we want to move uh, traffic for or rankings for these keywords, and then kind of go, um, it can take a while. Uh, you know you can you can use different tactics to try and speed things up. PR requests can be relatively quick. You can start that, and in two weeks or uh, two weeks, also uh, you're driving links. You can do reactive stuff like we spoke about earlier, which can be very quick. But if you're doing a much bigger campaign that's obviously going to be topically relevant and so on and so forth and offers something new for journalists to feature, that can take you quite a long time. Uh, and then it's trying to kind of get the snowball going from there and kind of m- maintain momentum, right? But it can yeah, it can get a little bit frosty in, in that first two months or so where you're trying to get things going, but it does take time.
3: Um, to add to that is that even after all of our hard work sometimes they try to disavow the link (laughs) so there might be a link in a publication which is quite relevant for us as PRs and we know it's like a good link and we know it's very relevant to the client but uh, from a technical SEO point of view they might have never heard of the website before and they might want to disavow the link without even thinking twice about it. And um, so what we tend to do is we have our technical SEO send us the links that they might, might potentially want to disavow, and then we just like double-check and sense-check the list and make sure none of those hard-to-get-in publications are ever disavowed from the site.
1: <laughs> On that as well, sometimes... Uh, SEOs do think you have control over every link that uh, or every placement that you you land uh, as well, or sometimes asking you to update the anchor text uh, and things like that, and that is absolutely not how not how this works. You know, or, or you'll get your campaign, or fingers crossed, go very well and become viral, and then it's well, why did you build a link in that publication? It's so like I didn't, I didn't aim for that. It was just completely viral or picked up naturally, which is what you want. Uh, But there can be a little bit of a disconnect sometimes in the success that you're having and how that's actually came
2: about. And then I think just to add to that, I think sometimes tech SEOs don't, or SEOs don't get the brand side of things. So digital PRs, we have to work with a brand team, um, sort of PR team, especially if you're working for a sort of bigger company and we've got, there's loads of sign off process that needs to go to make sure your tone of voice is on brand, the assets that you're sending is on brand. And sometimes um, SEO, don't know or don't really care about any of that and kind of they just want the link. Um, And actually you've got to be like, no, this actually got to be very on brand for what we're doing. It's got to make sense for the client. It's got to be something that if you kind of show it, you know, so show that reporting to, you know, you know, stakeholders and and the whole company that they're happy with everything. So from the link to the link quality, to the coverage, to the tone of voice, to the messaging, it's all got to be right. And that's why I think digital PRs we sit in that middle because we get both. We understand, you know, the sort of SEO, the SEO kind of need for why we need to do certain campaigns, but we also understand the brand PR brand awareness um, type of thing. So we're always trying to make sure that we kind of please both sides.
0: Yeah. I guess also from like exactly what you're saying from a, from an SEO perspective, um, it's sort of a, what content can we put out on our own website right now? That's going to cause some buzz, but what you're, you guys are thinking of is actually the outward, the outward world trying to, um, get buzz into, into the brand and, and improve it. And I mean, authority seems to be like the key word that's, that's been, because I know from, a, from being an entity SEO and, and, and doing all of this is that, um, SEOs are getting there slowly but surely and figuring out that you know you need to talk around concepts and you need to cover a lot of ground even if it doesn't feel directly related even if it isn't targeting that one long tail keyword but it has it has something behind it. it has intent like user intent or buyer's intent behind it it's almost just as valuable if not more valuable to Google than uh, just you know matching a exact match anchor text um. So I think, um, from, from what I've learned from you guys this is really quite similar, um, and I think we could all learn a lot from each other. And I've certainly learned a lot from you guys. I'd love to finish sort of on a, um, any sort of success story. So I know, um, uh, it doesn't have to be sort of branded. I'm just wondering if you guys have any, um, stories to share that you're quite proud of, maybe some campaigns that um, went well in terms of the decisions you decided to make and, um, uh, and and stuff that resulted in significant improvements in search rankings and brand visibility or organic traffic or even none of those things, but you learned a lot from it. Um, I'd love to hear anything like that if you're willing to share um, as a sort of closing comments.
1: I don't know how much you guys can share as well, but um, NDAs and all that kind of stuff, right? But um, from my perspective... I suppose there's quite a few, so it's hard to select, like case study wise, which one. But I think, like Eva yeah. mentioned earlier, uh, not only really authority but relevance is, is a key part of what we what we need yeah. to do in order to move the needle from an SEO perspective. Um, one that we did uh, a couple of months ago, or just at the tail end of last year, was a, it was called the Paris Syndrome. Um, for anyone that didn't see it. It was a piece where we found out there was a very real medical condition called the Paris Syndrome, where people become sick after visiting Paris because of how disappointed they feel of the reality of the scene. that was immediately like sparked wildfire in our, our brainstorming session because it was so interesting. So we pivoted that to look at the most disappointing cities around the world, uh, which is more of a negative spin on travel. Um, but thankfully we didn't have a, a, a client that was trying to drive more interest in, in holidays. They already had a service. They were trying to provide a different cities. So we, we used that, um, built on it. It was Orlando that came out top, uh, I suppose, because it's expensive, families go there, it's tiring uh who knows but that that came up top we we reviewed i think it was 800,000 uh, reviews and we used uh, sentiment analysis to try and understand positive negative like Isa mentioned earlier um as well uh and the the result although we did a bunch of campaigns across the domain uh and they had a, an uplift anyway they were up 80% year on year for organic clicks uh, across all paris uh keywords and related content they were up 160% so you can see how not only does it have a positive, positive effect for pretty much everything across the domain, it can seep through into to keyword specific queries as well that are related to the, to the campaigns that you're doing. So uh, yeah, that's one that I thought worth talking about.
0: That's absolutely worth talking about. Uh, I think that's a really perfect example of the sort of fusion of SEO and digital PR and how they are really not that far apart. And the sooner we start thinking about them together, the, the sort of more successful, um, overall this sort of search for online visibility will become. Um, so thank you so much guys. I mean, do, do you guys, um, Isa and Eva, do you have any closing comments just so, uh, it could be about, um, Literally anything to sum up what we've uh, talked about over here? Um, maybe uh, just some closing comments on what can SEOs really learn from
2: digital PR?
0: Um,
2: just to to finish us off. I mean, I would actually sort of say it the other way around, because I think SEOs, because digital PRs are in the SEO space, we are kind of essentially SEOs. I would say it's actually what PR, um, traditional PRs can do Um, or with SCA because it feels like it's kind of a waste of budget when PR agencies or PR departments go off and do their own thing without thinking about SEO I've come across that a lot and actually if PR traditional PRs learn about SEO um, and learn about the benefit of SEO companies could be really really like using their budget more efficiently so for example if they did a survey story and then the survey story did really well then there's that's it it's kind of dead where instead of putting that survey story on a website and then asking journalists to link to that story you're then getting links at the same time as well getting that brand awareness. So I'd say um I think it's more about PRs kind of going into the SEO space. I think with SEOs it's more about mm-hmm. thinking about being on brand and just thinking about tone of voice and thinking about the, the the client or the sort of company service and sort of end goal rather than just thinking about the link and visibility because it's all in one. It's all kind of holistically needs to work together.
3: Quality over quantity <laughs> always and relevancy. So make sure whatever campaign you're putting out there, whatever link you're trying to get the campaign to link to is relevant to your campaign. It just makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, Okay, brilliant. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, guys. I'm going to quickly bring in David to explain next week's uh, podcast. Hi, David. Next
1: month's podcast. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Next month's podcast, sorry. <laughs> great episode there. So next, next month um, is going to be episode 38. That's going to be on the 21st of August, which is going to be how to build an SEO-friendly content marketing strategy. I've got four great guests booked for that one. Chima Meji Edward Zubrinsky, Martin Huntschbach, and Holly Cartledge. Find out more about that at theknowledgepanelshow.com. It'll be distributed to all the popular platforms YouTube Spotify Apple Podcasts and more.
0: Brilliant. And all that's left to say is thank you so much guys for coming on to the podcast and I hope to see you all again again really soon. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Bye. Take
1: care. Bye.